Patrick brings on brilliant guests to pitch their Dream Music Festival. Yes, my name's Matt Holt and I'm the host and I'm here to guide you around their Fit Festival. Today's a live special in the Gold Banking Theatre in Canterbury with our live audience. Give us a big cheer! Yeah, there we go. I am honoured and privileged, that was very forced, but I enjoyed that. Uh, uh, I'm honoured and privileged to welcome tonight's guest. He is a uh, Welsh BBC Five Live presenter, award-winning multi-podcaster, actor, and bilingual comedian. Please join me in welcoming onto the stage, Mr. Ellis Alice, how are you doing today? Very good, how are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. And uh, thank you so much for joining us in Canterbury. And uh, how, what's your day been like today? Um, well, listeners to the Five Live show I do with uh, John will know that um, I was buying a house and then that fell through on the day before we meant to move. So uh, mm-hmm. I've had an absolutely brilliant day, Matt. Thanks <laughs> for asking. Well, uh, good, good so just trying to sort that out. Yeah. But to be honest, uh, the purpose of this podcast is really to take my mind off it because... Um, I've realised when it comes to sort of trying to come up with the perfect festival, uh-huh. if you're really going to go all out, you need a budget of between 39 and 45 million pounds. <laughs> so, and what we don't tell you with this podcast is that we actually do do it afterwards. So, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, t- that's what all the ticket sales are going to. Like, to work. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so it, it's very difficult to make the perfect festival, right? Have you have you found it quite stressful going through that period? Um. I listened to a lot of the episodes, mm-hmm. and I think I thought it was going to be easy, and then I, I realised how much effort other people had gone into. Oh, yeah. And I also realised why I don't programme festivals. <laughs> because, um, you know, try, I, it was weird. You think, okay, do you make it the perfect for me, or do I try and please the punters who were there? Yeah. And I was trying to think of all of the things I've liked at festivals and all of the things I've disliked. And also, I'd, every now and then, I'm doing it again in, in, a, in a, about six weeks' time, I think, but every now and then I, I DJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did it in a, in a nightclub in, that makes me sound about 60, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, I, I, did, I did it at a night spot um, in, in East London a couple of months ago, and I, I put a lot of thought into the playlist because I really wanted everyone to have a good time. Whereas mm-hmm. when I did it with John, he just played the stuff... <laughs> Uh, that he wanted to hear and ended up playing some spoken word tracks <laughs> by, by, by Meatloaf. How did and, that go down? And I had to take the mic off him <laughs> and, and explain to the audience, listen, I can sense your frustration. You do, no one wants this. Well, John wants this. Yeah. It should really be a listening session, not a, sort of, not a, not a nightclub event. Did you find it difficult to kind of like... Um have your name as part of that curation as well? Like, did you want to make sure like you had, like, this is more John rather than um, my... Well, with that one, I've only teached with, with John once, I think, but with that one, it was the two of us on the, on the bill. And so it was so painfully obvious which were my <laughs> tracks and which were yeah. his tracks. Yeah. And then I did a, um, a club night called Scared to Dance. And Paul, the promoter, he, he would book people who aren't known as DJs, but who he knows really love music. So he, he got Pat Nevin, the ex sort of Everton and Chelsea and Scotland footballer to do it, and Josie Long has done it. And that was great because he said, you can play 
the slightly more obscure stuff if you want. Mm -hmm. And I did that in the first hour, but then once you get to midnight and everyone's really, really drunk, yeah. you realise if you play SOS by ABBA, <laughs> they, they might well have been dancing to the Pixies 30 minutes before that, but there are some songs that really hit the spot at a certain, ki at a certain time. Yeah. And also, I, an ex-girlfriend of mine was a, a successful DJ at like festivals and things. Mm -hmm. So in terms of festivals, because I used to drive her to the, to the gigs, mm -hmm. I got a bit festivaled out in my mid-twenties because the summer of like 05 or 06, Gemma basically DJed at them all. Yeah. So I went to all of the festivals. That's so cool, right? No. <laughs> it's sort of, <laughs> it, you, you start off, yeah. and it was great for her, and I was really proud of her, that was brilliant, but uh, you start off thinking, this is gonna be the best summer of my life. <laughs> and the first ones, I can't remember what the first ones would have been it probably would have been something like latitude that felt quite early so yeah. july so with latitude you turn up and you're like oh, we're gonna be there for the whole thing we're gonna mm -hmm. turn up on the thursday we're gonna camp it's gonna be amazing and then one of the last ones we did <laughs> or the, one of the last ones she was performing at it was um it was a record label run a festival in oxford and her slot was between sort of 10 and midnight mm -hmm. and we arrived at 10 to 10 and i sat in the car like a sort of dad, yeah. <laughs> and, at, and at five five past midnight was tapping my watch. <laughs> but come on, uh, because I was just so sick of living yeah. in a tent. <laughs> and, but we did. She did Reading, and she did Leeds, yeah. and uh, Green Man, and it was really good. Because that's the thing with festivals, and um, in, in even doing a festival podcast, like uh, you, you can like there is a thing of too much because like I feel like it's great in short dosages but if you're doing it for as you mentioned for the whole festival it, uh, for the whole like summer you can just like my back's in tatters I want to go to bed at a yeah. reasonable hour and uh, yeah I, I, oh. I, I want to have I want I want to go to the, the toilet <laughs> without, without a potential audience of 50,000 people <laughs> now that's going to be a sound clip for the uh, <laughs> well I am um, I'm in once I got to a certain level of doing stand-up, mm -hmm. I, was, I, was, I would be asked to perform at festivals. So then from about 2009, 10 onwards, you would often be turning up as a punter. So I, d I did most of them then. And then if I, if I wasn't doing Edinburgh, you, you, were, you were able to do all of them. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, that gives you quite a different perspective. Because I remember I, I you know, Latitude is in Suffolk. Mm -hmm. And like an idiot, I decided to double latitude with Chester. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was on a you know midday or something in latitude and then I had to drive to Chester to do the gig. And then I think uh, bizarrely I think I was on again, you know, and I had to I had to drive back and all this sort of mm -hmm. and it became quite a functional way to spend time. I did the Hop Farm Festival. Yes, I know that. Which is in Kent, isn't it? Or it was in Kent. I think Lou Reed played. Yeah. Has anyone been there before? Well well we Izzy, Izzy was on my partner was performing and I was on and we stayed to watch the headliner by which point I'd completely forgotten where I'd parked <laughs> and I went up to a man and I said um, I think I'm in like the yellow performers car park and he said right that's that's completely round the other side of the festival and I said well is there a fast way of getting there and he said no <laughs> and he, I said what's the best way of getting there and he said walk around, walking around the per perimeter and I said how far is that and he said it's about two miles <laughs> so then I walked round to the yellow car park which was two miles 
and realised that I wasn't parked there at all. I was parked no. in sort of like, you know, the beige car park. <laughs> and then I said, how do I get there? And he said, it's completely, it's in that way. Oh, the best man. way to walk on the pyramid, how far is it? Oh, it's another two miles. So then it was like half past one, everyone's gone home. We're the only two people left. And eventually some, uh, some p local police felt sorry for us and they drove us around until we found the car. <laughs> And I, uh, I just thought, I fucking hate this. <laughs> <laughs> Never want to go to another festival yeah. again. But, like, yeah, and I, I was half expecting you to say, like, you were just, like, you kept on going from car park to car park and you never left the car park. No, it was but, like a, yeah. but they're huge. Yeah, yeah, Festivals yeah. Are, are vast. Absolutely. So I, um, I went to the first latitude and I went to, I think, probably the second Green Man, maybe not the first one. I'm actually now friends with the person who organises Green Man. Mm -hmm. Uh, his um, kids are friends with my kids and um, with Green Man I think it's sort of perfect because initially it was tiny you know like a couple of thousand people and now I think I don't know what the capacity is but it's sort of between 10 and 20,000 I would imagine yeah. which is good whereas when I went to Glastonbury you read in the papers on you know the day before <laughs> it's a city the size of Swansea for four days. <laughs> you think well, all of Swansea in a field? <laughs> that is that is unworkable, and it is unworkable. It's yeah. it's too it's too big. Yeah. <laughs> we sound like a couple like a pair of old men, but like, it's too big. It's too much. Or like, but like it's like in Glastonbury. I went in 2013, and like uh, it is quite crammed, and uh, like uh, there's so much people walking, and then the paths get muddy. It, it, it's uh, it's difficult it's, it's to kind of navigate, but uh, but yeah, uh, you mentioned going to um, festivals as a punter in your youth. But what was one of the most crazy crowds that you've been to? What, crazy crowds? Yeah, have you ever been part of an audience where you've been like kind of shocked or kind of thought this was eccentric? I saw um, I saw the Stone Roses do their um, I saw the Stone Roses do their comeback shows at Heaton Park in Manchester. Mm -hmm. And you know when, it, what was funny, what was interesting about that was, I don't know what the capacity was, 40,000, 50,000, whatever, but it was 50,000 people who'd clearly all wanted the same thing for 30 years, <laughs> all taking ecstasy for the first time in 30 years. <laughs> and it was, um, yeah, you, 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 you realise there's a real, because now where you know, rock music is over 60 years old, mm -hmm. So something that was seen as quite a disposable art form that probably was a flash in the pan and wouldn't last in 1968. Mm -hmm. We're now into the nostalgia scene where I know McCartney's doing Glastonbury and I, my mum saw The Who and she saw The Stones, but she never saw The Beatles. Mm -hmm. So I know he's touring in the UK, in Australia, in, in America. So I would, I'm, you know, fingers crossed he'll tour in Britain and then I can take my yeah. mum. You know, my mum, you know, this is a band that split up over 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think Reading and Leeds, Reading, you know, on, on the Sunday, everything seemed to be on fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, I'm not sure I like this. Yeah, it's so horrible. Like, um, I think Reading and Leeds, are, uh, has anyone been to Reading or Leeds Festival? Oh, one person in the audience, uh, like a uh, soul survivor, like, uh, like uh, you should have been there, man. Like, uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't enjoy it, actually. It, it, I think it's definitely, um, when I went, uh, it's definitely more for younger people, I would say. And like, I would say like, you get a lot of people there who are a bit more uh, anarchic and do have uh, more behavior where you do set a tent on fire and that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, that is, uh, that's not my vibe, really. Do you know what I mean? No, like, uh, I, uh, like Glass I know people who went to Glastonbury in the, in the 80s. Yeah. And even in the 90s. And it just, f it, 
It's, a, it's like a social experiment <laughs> where there were no rules for four days. Yeah. And it's, I, like, you see, the, I, I love the Woodstock film, yes, but um, yeah. I wouldn't say Woodstock was particularly well planned. No, and that the film um, that came out about it was very heavily edited, and the real-life Woodstock was horrendous. Like, it was uh, a couple of deaths were there, and uh, just, like, yeah, just it was very not safe. Yeah, the like. 90s one, when they did it again yeah. 30 years yeah. later, there was lots of uh, yeah. shenanigans. It was, yeah, it's a really good documentary um, about that, um, which does escape me, but do Google it. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's shocking as well. Um, but, yeah, but in terms, like... Outside of festivals, because uh, today we're talking about festivals, but we're also talking about music that we love. Uh, so this is the kind of archetypal question I start with. But uh, if someone were to ask you, Ellis, what kind of music are you into? How would you respond to that question? Um, oh, it's 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 a hard question because you either pigeonhole yourself. <laughs> Or you're one of those people who's like, I actually like everything. I actually, uh, yeah, yeah. Whether it's post-punk or gabba, it doesn't really bother me. But um, we've I, had a lot of those people on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> what I, what I realised though was I think if you take the best example of a genre, you will usually like it. So um, I really like uh, post-punk music. I really like. Gang of Four yes. and um, Public Image Limited, but I also really like uh, soul music. So I really like the yes. flirtations and groups, that, and especially Motown, mm-hmm. more than Stax actually. Um, but it's probably guitar music, I would say, as a very broad thing. And especially when I was discovering music for myself, you know, when you so when you're a kid, you just listen to what your mum and dad listen to, mm-hmm. and then when you're a little bit older, it's just the pop music of the day. And then when I probably got to about 14 or 15, the way, because it, it was the sort of the last golden age of the music press, really, the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And the way they would write about music, it would sound like all of these really exciting scenes, and one scene would go into the next one. So you'd have Mersey Beat, and then you'd have the British Invasion, and then you'd have a bit of mod, and then a bit of psychedelia, and then a bit of skinhead, and then, you know, and then uh, yeah. glam, and then prog, <laughs> and then punk, and then, you know, the 80s indie stuff, then the Stone Roses, blah, 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 and then Britpop, and then you were there. And it felt like you kind of had to go back to the beginning and start there. Mm-hmm. And then they were. They, you don't see them as much anymore. It's probably, it was probably to do with coming to the end of the 20th century. It was all, magazines mm-hmm. were always, the 100 singles you simply must own. <laughs> the, you know, the 100 best albums of all time. Yeah. <laughs> and they were all, the lists were always the same yeah, yeah. as well. It was always Pet Sounds and Revolver and Sgt. Pepper and stuff like yeah. that. So I, did, I would try and buy those records. Um, and then I suppose that gives you quite an eclectic um, yeah. record collection. And the crazy thing, which I was trying to explain to my daughter, but it sounds like a lie now, <laughs> is that when I was growing up, the only music you could listen to was the music you owned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which sounds insane. Yeah. Now, to, if you're 10 or 7, because now if I, if I think of a song I think she'll like, it's just on my phone usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, no, I had, you know, when I was 16, I had 42 CDs. <laughs> And then if I listened to all of them, that was that was it. And then it was the music. And fingers crossed, uh, Gary Davis on Radio One knew what he was doing because yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. So um, and like we were actually having a, quite a similar discussion um, backstage, and like and uh, the idea of uh, having that stream service where you can just like 
before the show, I created a, uh, I would say, an Alice-friendly um, Spotify playlist. And I did that in, like, 15 minutes. But imagine trying to do that with, like, CDs and, like... Uh, Mixtapes, cassettes yeah, is yeah, what I used yeah. to do it on, yeah. Which I, ha I have made for you, but, like, that's, uh, that's uh, for the end yeah. of the show. But, like, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, just before we go into the next section, um, um, I, uh, I think you've given a lot of different types of genres of music you like, but what do you think would be the most polar opposites of your uh, likes in, uh, in terms of music and taste? Um, it would probably be, I really like the melody of Motown. Yeah. So I really like Martha Reeves, and I really like Aretha Franklin, but also I, I like really, God, this makes me sound very pretentious. I like really sort of discordant mm -hmm. music that's quite wrong. Yeah. Um, what, what, what kind of wrong? Um, well, <laughs> but I... <laughs> so they've been cancelled for a reason, <laughs> Alice, thank you. Uh, no, so I um I really loved the fall. Yes, yeah. But if you don't if you don't like you either <laughs> love it or you absolutely hate it. Yeah. And there was a German group uh, from the seventies called Can, mm -hmm. who are officially banned in our house. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Izzy has said, I just won't have it in the house. <laughs> and um, my oh. daughter hates it, mm -hmm. and I'd driven her to a petting zoo. And I'd, I'd, re I'd realised that she'd fallen asleep. And I thought, brilliant. I thought, I thought Izzy's not here. I can have 30 minutes of can time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you know, uh, before we get home. So I, um, I, I, I absolutely adore those records. But they, if, if it's not your thing, it sounds like a piss tick. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I put it on. And, you know, we'd been to this petting zoo and she'd fed a goat or something. <laughs> Like she was asleep in that way that you know kids sort of where they just look absolutely shattered, mm. and it was it wasn't even you know it was the first note, <laughs> and she went, oh this isn't children's music, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I said can Dad have it for a minute? And she went no 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 not children's music, yeah. Yeah. and I I but I just love it, and it, there's this in this. Bizarre case of serendipity. I, I used to, we used to do a radio show, John and I, on Radio X, and at the end of the podcast, we would talk about bands that we might not be able to play on Radio X, mm -hmm. and they were one of the groups I chose, and I used to talk about them quite a lot. And I was in a sitcom, and I, used to, I, m I made the character I was playing wear a can T-shirt. Yeah, nice. And um, a lady came up to me in Sainsbury's when I was doing my shopping, and I wasn't browsing. Was <laughs> and she said, "Oh, you're the the Can fan." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I love I love Can actually." And she said, "Well, I'm I'm the lead singer's daughter." No way. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and she said, "Yeah, and I look after the record label, and I'm in charge of the merch. And the, a big biography was published about them last year, so I was in charge of that." And I said, "Where do you live?" And she said, "I live about 200 yards from you." <laughs> and Bizarre, this was just before lockdown, so she said, you have to come around because we've got those records and obscure wow. stuff that you might not have seen. And um, yeah, because they were, they, were they were based in Germany. They yeah. were all German, well, apart from uh, the singer was Japanese. Yes. But um, yeah, it, he came over to London and she's made a life for herself in London. So now I have this really odd link where, uh, yeah, I will occasionally bump into her in the park. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, they were one of those groups bit like the Velvet Underground, where almost every group I've ever loved 
claims to be influenced by cans. So yeah. Fool's Gold by the Stone Roses, the drums is really a can ripoff. Mm -hmm. So if you go back and listen to the original records, Primal Scream loved them as well, and you know they're they're really great, they're really brilliant. But if you don't like it immediately, I don't think you'll ever get it. <laughs> and I don't have to sound so like a gatekeeper. It's just it's quite polarizing. Yeah. But I I I could listen to it all day. Yeah, well, I think we'll definitely discuss them later on, I imagine. But like, uh, um, but yeah, I think they're a very interesting band. Is anyone else? Um, has anyone heard of Can? Yeah. You sir, um, in with the jacket on. Uh, have you got a favourite Can record? Honestly, I can't remember the names of tracks. But there's that one that's got this funky rhythm for ages. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, they. Uh, the interesting thing with them. I don't think I'm needed here at this point. Well, <laughs> they, they, they bizarrely. They were this German group, and they wanted to completely, they wanted to sort of not be influenced by Western influences. They wanted to make a completely new music that wasn't influenced by sort of Anglo-American music, which is why it's really, really rhythmic, and it doesn't sound like anything else. But then, in 1976, they had a big hit mm -hmm. called I Want More, and they ended up on um, Top of the Pops. Yeah. And they were these sort of German anarchists yeah. on on top of the pops. It's and then they went off and yeah. made yet more um, uh, obscure music. Like Radiohead were, were a yeah. very big fan. They covered a can song actually. Yeah, as you mentioned, they, they did inspire a lot of um, uh, musicians, like as you said, mentioned the Fall and uh, yeah, Public Image Limited, and uh, yeah. yeah, like that, like and a lot of that more abstract, um, psychedelic and uh, funky sound as well. So. Yeah, if you like, you know the same drum beat over and over <laughs> and over <laughs> for 15 minutes as a bloke, you know, <laughs> sort of screams over it. It really is the music for you, right? I'll tell you what, some, we'll have some fans later on <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah, we'll, we'll play us out with that as well. Like, I can uh, see I played it to his She said, are you taking the piss? <laughs> I said, no, I just love it. It's just the... Well, I do... F I, I, I there's a couple of um, bands that have also banned in uh, in my house as well, uh, but like uh, yeah, and I how quickly was it banned in your house? Uh, it was <laughs> quite early on in the relationship, <laughs> when you know when you're getting to know someone, playing the records you like is actually it makes you feel quite vulnerable because mm -hmm. yes. if the person you think you're falling in love with <laughs> thinks that the music you like is shit, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. And there is, you know, music is entirely subjective. There's, there's no <laughs> right and wrong. But there is. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we'd, I'd started off, <laughs> I, I, th I think I thought I had a sort of handle on the kind of stuff um, Izzy liked. So I played her those records and she liked that stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then, then we, I, I thought, I'm on a, I'm on a road here. <laughs> And then I played her can, and she was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. But it's, um, sometimes you just feel something in your gut, and it's just really instinctive. And I'm going to listen to it in the car the whole way home now. Yeah. And that's what will happen. Yeah, because my kids aren't in the car. I can do what I want, because I'm 41. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. And uh, uh, hopefully they'll be appearing at your festival. But let's go. Let's head over and set up camp at your festival. Um, and we're going to head into that section now. Hello and welcome to season five of Castable. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It really means the world to me. 
If you'd like to help support the podcast, please make sure to give it five stars on Spotify or Apple or whatever platform that you're using and give it a nice review. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend, share it. If you want to have bonus content and financially support the podcast, why don't you become a Patreon for a little pound a month where you get to have bonus podcasts, videos, and so much more. Best way to support the podcast is keep on listening to the show and enjoy the rest of the season. So before we get into the main lineup of your festival, Ellis, we want to know the background kind of information about the festival that kind of makes it unique. So what is the name of your festival? Okay, I thought long and hard about this. <laughs> yeah. M- music festival. <laughs> <laughs> so no one is under any illusions as to what's happening at this festival. I considered Ellis Stock or uh, Ellis Palooza, but um, I think it's just music festival. <laughs> I've done this for three years, <laughs> and it's the first time people... You've just gone straight down the straight line. Straight down the line, yeah. There's no Half funny least resistance. <laughs> Music and, and no one's done it. Yeah. <laughs> End of the road, Glastonbury, you know, V. No one has called their festival Music Festival. Absolute idiots, aren't they? <laughs> Mark and Tears, get a fucking so, grip, do so you know what I mean? bloody obvious. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Tell you what, that that we have to make this a reality now. Just yeah. that, like, uh, <laughs> there's something so joyous about like, oh, what festivals are you going to this year? <laughs> music <laughs> festival? Yeah. Uh, no, no, like what what festival? <laughs> not, uh, not the, the music. Fe- yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a, that's. A, I would say yeah. I was, yeah, I was quite quite down the line there. Yeah. I, I appreciate the thought. Music festival brackets Ellis. <laughs> if, if if you need. <laughs> But no, that's Addison. up to you. <laughs> yeah, uh, even better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, <laughs> that really tickled me. Sorry about that. Um, um, so where, where, <laughs> uh, whereabouts geographically is music festival? I, I think long and hard about this because as I've got older, um, the privations and difficulties involved in camping would really suggest um, a, an all tomorrow's parties sort of solution where you're in chalets, which is ideal. I've not actually, I've never been to all tomorrow's parties f- um, for my sins. So what I'm actually going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to place the festival uh, in West Wales because that's where I grew up. And the thing with growing up in Carmarthen, I was about, you know, in terms of bands coming, mm-hmm. obviously there were local groups. But in terms of the, the big bands I would read about in the enemy or whatever, they they would usually come as far as Cardiff, which was about an hour and fifteen minutes away. Sometimes if they missed out Cardiff, it was Bristol. So yeah. there's now an arena in Swansea, but it wasn't there then. It's only just opened. Absolutely. So every single gig I went to, unless it was a local group, were involved hiring a minibus, and it meant it meant um, a lot a lot of logistics. So for instance, I was like. 16 in 1996. Yeah. So perfect age for Britpop. And Nebworth happened. But from where I lived, because, you know, I, no one has any money when they're 16, mm-hmm. it was absolutely inconceivable yeah. that I would be able to get to the defining sort of gig of my generation because it was hours and hours and hours away. <laughs> yeah. So I always wanted stuff to be nearer where I grew up. So I, I'm, I'm thinking of all the sort of the teenagers in command. So it's going to be sort of between there and Aberystwyth, I think. And it's going to be in June. So it's still light at like Love 10 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, and the temperature, because I'm going to control the, the weather like, <laughs> like, like the Chinese did before Beijing 2008. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's going to be dry, but about 27 degrees. Mm. So it's going to be warm, but not, no one's going to get sunstroke. Yeah. 
crucially. Yeah, it's you know what you're playing it safe this festival. Yeah, so I, far, I, yeah. I, I once got sunstroke watching Swansea City play Yeovil <laughs> because because uh, it, they, they had an open away end, and yeah. after 40 minutes, I fainted because of the because uh, of that notorious Somerset heat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I like how, how you control the weather as well. It makes it like, uh, yeah, it's like very, like, yeah, it's, well, it sets I, its tone. I only went to Glastonbury once, and it was a wet year. Absolutely. And I just thought on day two, I, I came, I, I watched the, I think I watched the Who on the Sunday and just mm -hmm. left because I thought I just don't want to be here for a minute longer. Uh, to be fair, it did take you five hours to find the car as well. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I tell you one thing, that was a really fascinating bit of TV editing because I was watching the Who and I really loved the records, but between each song. Townsend would go, well, I, I wrote this song because I just had a cold progression. I remember getting a bus, the 378 from Acton to Chiswick, where Roger was living at the time. And I remember it was just a cold progression, but nothing more. I didn't have the riff itself. And um, yeah. I talked to Roger and, and so he, I remember he actually, he actually called Keith. <laughs> and so we were talking to Keith on the phone and we sort of, we were discussing what we wanted to do. But, and eventually it became, uh, I could see for miles. And then they play, I could see for miles. Everyone would go mad. <laughs> But he would do this before every song. <laughs> and the anecdotes were never interesting. Yeah. And then I drove home and I watched it on BBC4 and they just edited all of that out. <laughs> and on the telly, it just looked like hit after hit after hit. I, there is a certain thing about a band of a certain generation where maybe the older that you get, the more unwanted Q&A that you do during <laughs> your show. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, that's exactly what it was. It was yeah. an unwanted Q&A. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, which is uh, what we'll do at the end as well, yeah. thank you. Um, obviously, um, in terms of, we talked about um, having uh, the city of Swansea being at the festival of Glastonbury, not being too many people, but ideally, how many people would you like at your festival? Well, this is, this is one, of the, one of the things I'm going to lose money on. Um, <laughs> uh, when you think of, I think, when you look at the bands I've got, you know, A, resurrecting them from the dead is going to be pricey. Costly, yeah, yeah. Um, and even the bands that are still alive, are, so you're going to be paying top whack. But also, for a, a festival that has a capacity of 10,000, yeah. 30,000 toilets. Yeah. So there's a, there's a two in three chance that no one's been in there at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, people are going to be eating off real plates. Yeah. Yeah. So, sort of like actual crockery. There's none of that, pa none of that, none of that, none of that paper plate stuff with actual knives and forks. Okay, so this is a very formal festival. Well, it's just you know, I remember eating. I remember getting like a, a, a pork baguette <laughs> from at Reading. Yeah. And the, so the apple sauce was too hot. <laughs> And it, it actually sort of burnt through the paper plate and it was onto my arms and then the Arctic monkeys had started. I thought, fucking hell, I'm going to miss, oh, miss dance floor. And then people were setting stuff on fire. I thought, there has to be a better way. <laughs> and the key thing about that, more than anything else other than fires and, and hot applesauce, was, was the crockery. Is that yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it's, uh, it's going to be crockery and, every, and chairs everywhere. You do, a, you do a lot of standing around at festivals. Yeah, yeah. And I, I hurt my knee playing football in January, so there's sort of constant, <laughs> constantly people are going to be saying, would you like a chair, sir? Yes, I'd love a chair, actually. <laughs> yeah, like you've got like a priority badge as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's really nice. And um, like, I'm, is it dishwashers at the festival? Do you have to use a reusable That's not blade? my problem. <laughs> um, that, is, that is for uh, Andy, the logistics guy, to sort out. 
Well, that brings us on to our next question. As you've so kindly delegated to a logistics officer very quickly, uh, uh, what is your role at the festival? Do you feel like, uh, are you going to be... Morale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of, I'm, I'm morale and sort of buck passing. <laughs> Yeah, you, you came up with the title, you came up with the set list, yeah, nothing. The title <laughs> of music festival. And then I, Job done. Then I, uh, and then I um, employed a logistics man called Andy. I'll tell you who the logistics man is. It would be Steve Pickup, who was the logistics man at the Machinthlet Comedy Festival, which yes. is the world's best comedy festival. So I'd get Steve to, because he, he never looks bothered or worried, so I'd get Steve to do that. And yeah, I, I think... I've, I've realised, whilst trying to buy the house, that what I ap actually hate doing is any kind of decision-making. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> this is the line-up here, and, and now I've washed my hands of it. Yeah. Uh, apart from controlling the weather. Yeah. Because, um, um, to, uh, to show it just a little bit of uh, backstage life, um, uh, we were just having a chat, and halfway through we'd be like, fuck, forgot that band, and just yeah. hatedly wrote it down as well. So because you, you are terrified. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite a people pleaser, so I am now, like, petrified Yeah. that, I don't know, Tom York is going to listen to this and then think, oh, cheers, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't find a bloody place for me on my uh, dream, on your dream <laughs> festival lineup, even though that I was the best gig you ever saw on the UK computer tour in 1997. Well, thank you very much. So as we were discussing all these bands, yeah. were, I, thought, I thought I'd planned it last night and then... Uh, yeah. I was yeah thinking of different groups. Yeah, it's um I think I might do a section where um for for people who panic about this kind of stuff like bands you should have had and like, like yeah like, yeah well, we should do that in the future and just to clarify I guarantee that Tom York won't listen to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> just just got a feeling about that one okay. but but um, um we mentioned it earlier but like let's before we wrap up like uh, what's the camping situation at the festival are you a fan of camping. Yeah, it's it's a pricey situation. Um, it's it's yurts uh, with with butlers. Um, okay, so right. It is expensive. It's pricey. I can tell you definitely pass this off to Steve for logistics. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Steve, Steve can sort that out. I just I remember that the summer of festivals in '05 and then again in '06 when I was driving Gemma around. I remember putting up a green man. It was hammering down with rain. And it had got to the stage where rather than take the, sort of the Friday off and do it like a normal punter, mm -hmm. we were arriving, you know, a couple of hours before she was on. Yeah. Because um, I couldn't take the annual leave because I, I had a real job. And I remember, yeah, so she, I don't know when she'd have been on, 10 p.m. for argument's sake. So we'd say we arrive at, at like half past eight and it's just pissing down with rain. And you're trying to put up a tent yeah. in torrential rain. And, and it's just it's just unpleasant. And then I remember um, one festival, I can't even remember which one this was, uh, not bothering to put up a tent. And you know those, um, oh. it's sort of like an awning bit of someone else's tent. Yeah. I said, can I just sleep there? <laughs> and um, this guy who I'd known for about 40 minutes said, uh, if, if you have to. Um, and I remember waking up and my feet were outside of the awning and they had like I had like dew on my shoes. <laughs> and I thought, I need to plan better. <laughs> and um so as I've got older I've I've sort of fallen out of love with camping really. Yeah. And then um 
when you're performing, because I've, I've done stand-up at lots of festivals, you, you know, you, it did get to this, I think we did, I think I did Latitude a few years ago, and we got a hotel, yeah. like a couple of miles outside, because I was, I'm, I've, I've camped at so many festivals now, and almost mm -hmm. never had, also the temperature has to be perfect, <laughs> because it's either too hot, or too hot or too cold. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's yurts with Wi-Fi and television, yeah. um, and butlers. <laughs> Okay, like, I'll be honest, in the last 10 minutes, it's got very middle class. Oh, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just had a... Oh, my <laughs> God, yeah. But I've, I've been, you know, I've had cans of piss chucked at me, so I'm, I feel I've earned my stripes piss-wise. I went to watch, I went to watch uh, Oasis, the Foo Fighters, and Kasabian at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. Yeah. And you know when you're walking home and you think, I am covered in so many different kinds of piss. Yeah. Because none of that stuff getting chucked was water. Yeah. That was that was exclusively piss. Yeah. And it happened throughout Oasis's set. Um, so yeah, I kind of feel like I've been there and uh, and done that. I've um, I recently um, because uh, of um, um, lockdowns have been uh, lifted in the last couple of uh, months. I've been taking my partner um, to more live shows and. Uh, She's not really into like rock shows, and that, that's kind of where I'm, I love rock and uh, uh, indie and uh, that kind of thing. And um, particularly more rowdy shows, like uh, uh, she's also gluten intolerant, so obviously kind of wheat or anything like that. And I'm used to having piss thrown over me and water. And like, there's no wheat in piss. <laughs> Surely it depends on what they've. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but like, yeah, you can have two bowls of special K. And then. <laughs> <laughs> but my, but my, my point was sometimes it is beer, and uh, you can tell whether it's cold or warm. But for her, it was a, it, it was neither was good. Uh, amazingly, the, yeah. so amazingly, the wheat was the issue. Well, well yeah, well, That's I don't absolutely think absolutely incredible. <laughs> she wasn't happy either way, I'll be yeah. honest. But like, uh, yeah, but it's it's quite. It, yeah, after a quite a rock and roll youth, it's kind of like that stuff doesn't face me. Uh, but like everyone else is like. What's going on here? Yeah, and, uh, and I, yeah. I saw Oasis a few times. I, I, the first time I saw them was on the Be Here Now tour, and um, what was interesting about Oasis was they were so huge. This is, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm very boring. I'm always going on about this, but if you were 16 in 1996, there's this myth now that Britain was obsessed with. Bands like Elastica and Sleeper and mm -hmm. you know all the, and all those groups. They weren't in my secondary school. There were about a hundred kids in our year, and there were about eight of us who mm -hmm. liked that music. And the rest, it was pop music, and it was boy bands like Take That and Boys Own and all that kind of stuff. So there were about eight indie kids really. And I think that and in the year above there were uh, the year below there were none. Yeah. So I, I think that when you see. Um, TV shows that are set in the 90s, they often get the 90s wrong. I think Derry Girls does a brilliant job yeah. of playing the kind of music that I remember people of that age were playing at the time. But the one band that did genuinely transcend um, in, into sort of a completely different planet was Oasis. And I saw them in Cardiff on the Be Here Now tour when they were the biggest band in the world. And what was weird was you, you had really leery lads, the piss chuckers. <laughs> the fifth chucket. And then, and then there was a sort of, I, I can only describe it as looking like a Sunday school trip. Yeah. So Travis supported them, and it was all fairly standard. And yeah. I'd been to that venue loads of times, and I thought, yeah, I've got a good spot here. This is, this is all right. And then they came on, and it was them at their most ostentatious as well. Like they had a sort of, 
the, the set, there was a swimming pool with a phone box and a Rolls Royce sticking out of it, all that yeah. ridiculousness. <laughs> and then suddenly it was just chaos. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of quite old women who were looking after quite young kids, getting quite worried, and everyone's getting pissed chucked at them. And <laughs> Noel Gallagher asked us all to calm down. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, yeah. you, that's, a, that's a message, isn't it? Yeah. Bloody angry men. Like, these, these people getting hurt down here. And I remember thinking, Sorry. <laughs> I'm not a piss chucker. <laughs> Another sound clip. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm more of an observer of piss chucking. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, it was it was, and I'd seen the Mannix. Then I saw uh, Blur there and mm-hmm. Radiohead and Pulp. I saw a lot of big groups at that venue, mm-hmm. the Multipoint Arena, as it's now called. But it, Oasis was a completely different experience because it was such a hot ticket. Yeah. So um, I, I just want to wrap up one thing before we go into see your main uh, lineup. Uh, and this is a bit of a cheeky question, but like we kind of have, I think there's a vibe of kind of like you sit down, you have a nice time at this festival. It seems quite a relaxed atmosphere. Oh no, everyone's on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be like the Euro 2020 final. It'd be absolutely <laughs> horrible, but the, but the toilets are nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's three to one ratio. Yeah, three to one ratio. <laughs> uh, well, my question was like, um, if you're, if it is, because a lot of festivals are created in the, the person, the interviewee's image, and I'm not sure if this festival is, but like uh, you're known for like uh, at certain f- football games, taking off your top, going wild. Oh, is yeah. that the kind of vibe you have at your festival? Is it? Um, I love watching footage. I think crowds are less leery than they used to be. Mm-hmm. So I was watching footage of Glastonbury '95, which is the first one I remember watching the coverage of on Channel Four. And, you know, the, the bands I love who, who performed that year, the crowds are going absolutely mental. And if you look at when Kurt Cobain did Reading, you know, when he comes on um, yeah. and he's got the hospital gown on and he's in the wheelchair, as soon as they start playing, the place goes absolutely nuts. Yeah. And I, I, I used to love that. And I used to really like, you know, I saw some, uh, I'm trying to think of the sort of, like, I, when I, I remember seeing Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, mm-hmm. and it was more like being at a football match than being <laughs> at a gig. Yeah. So yeah, I d- I I like that stuff. I just um I just don't want to shit in a pit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be a piss chucker. Have a nice toilet. Yeah, it's some um, wash your crockery. It's <laughs> it's um I just my experience of festivals. I've been to so many. And it's different, so I probably went to my first one when I was 18, 17 or 18. And then, you know, you start, you start performing at them. Or oh, one thing that's banned from, festi- from my festival is, is kids. <laughs> I think you're absolutely nuts if you're taking a kid, a young child to a fa- I think that's absolutely <laughs> crazy. So you would do, I would do latitude, and the audience, people would have, like, I've got two young kids. Like, yeah. I've got, you know, it's not like I hate children, I just think, <laughs> It's not. It's not, the, it's not the place. Yeah. yeah. To to have a sort of a four year old with it in floods of tears because you can't get any because you can't get four G to show them Ben and Holly or <laughs> Peppa Pig or and they would absolutely fucking hate can set lists as well. Yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. Like I saw Mogwai. Yeah. <laughs> a very loud band. Well, I've seen Mogwai um, two or three times, and when I saw them at Latitude. That's the loudest event <laughs> I've ever been at. Yeah. And I saw them spot the Manics, and that was loud. But 
I never saw my bloody Valentine, um, who were apparently, you know, ear splitting, you know, people's ears bleeding. But Mogwai at Latitude, it mm -hmm. was, it, it was so loud you couldn't work out where the sound was coming from. You thought, it feels like it's coming from inside me. How is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how is that happening? Reverberating. Uh, so I would get them to turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to influence your set, but if you can just turn yeah, it down. Just turn it yeah. down. Like, if I can control the weather, I can control the sound. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about uh, more about uh, kind of set lists as we go on. But like, uh, I think now it's time to uh, let's head over to the, your main stage and see who we have available. Castable, if you can hear me, I want you to sing along. Go for it. One more time. Welcome everyone to Music Fest uh, and uh, yeah, brackets Alice and uh, we 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 is it three day festival for your Alice? It's a three day festival. Yeah, classic uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Classic, classic Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, the days are themed. Oh, so, yeah. so let's start on. Let, let's go day by day. Um, Friday. What's the theme for Friday? Eighties, nineties, big beasts. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah. So it, it's groups that are. Apart from one, groups that need to reform. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, starting off, uh, Pavement. Pavement, who yeah. I've got tickets to see at the Roundhouse in, I think it's October. And the thing with Pavement, I loved them. They only played Cardiff once and I missed it. I was, it was a school night and I was doing my A-levels and I couldn't get a ticket. Mm -hmm. And they played a little, tiny little indie club called Club Iberbach, where I saw the Strokes where basically their booking manager hadn't realised how big they were going to be. Mm -hmm. And that was the week, it was about a, a two weeks or something prior to when at Reading, they were initially bottom of the bill and then they got bumped to sort of third from the bill because mm -hmm. they became huge overnight. Yeah. So I saw them in this club called Club Iverbach, which has a capacity of about 150. And it's the closest I think I've ever felt. I saw the Libertines around that time as well, but it's the closest I think I've ever felt to feeling like I was at a Sex Pistols gig or something. <laughs> yeah. Because at the end of the show, uh, everyone got on stage and carried them round the venue on their shoulders. <laughs> oh, wow. And um, Club Iverbach has is, is got three floors. So the way they did it was they were performing on the top floor. The Mannix did it for the first time, actually, um, a couple of weeks ago for Six Music, because Club, they were meant to play there in 1990 for a poll tax, mm -hmm. uh, an anti-poll tax gig, and then they had to pull out because they got offered something else and it was better. And then they went 30 years without doing it because it's really tiny. So um, Strokes were on the first floor, uh, were on the top floor, and the middle floor was their dressing room. Mm -hmm. And once they'd all been carried around on people's shoulders, yeah. and everyone had been stage diving and all that kind of stuff, they invited everyone down to the middle floor for a party. <laughs> And we just, I just sat with them and drank beer with Julian Casablancas. And we talked about our favourite films. <laughs> it was just w weird. That's so and, cool, um, though. So Pavement played there. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's a legendary gig in that everyone who was anyone who could get a ticket tried to get a ticket. So you know, people were trapped at the bar, they couldn't see the show. So I never got to see them. And then when they reformed in 2010, I, I was doing gigs in Australia, so I missed them that time round. So I'm going to see them now, even though there are a couple of 
60. <laughs> yeah. Which is quite a weird feeling. Matthew Crosby has been on this podcast. Mm-hmm. He went with Whittaker, with Josh, to the show in Brixton in 2010. And I, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. When they all walked on together, uh, Crosby burst into tears. <laughs> because Matthew had been at the last show they'd done, which I think was the last show they ever did, which was at the Brixton Academy, yeah. where Steve Malcolm, who by this stage hated being the band, had a pair of handcuffs around the mic stands to sort of symbolise how yeah. he felt about being in Pavement. <laughs> but they, they, they're doing the round house, so I'm going to go to that. Fine. So Pavement are on the bill. So um, what I'll do uh, with um, for, our, uh, for our live audience, because sometimes when we uh, talk about uh, bands and festival, uh, some people might not know much about what their vibe is, what kind of thing there is. And you mentioned earlier uh, about... Um, Tom Hart can specifically, but like bands that sound a little wrong, and uh, and I think um, you've mentioned in the past you like bands who sound a bit and like, like wonky, and I think yeah, uh, yeah. Pavement are a classic example of that kind of yes. like kooky um, wonky rock. Is that about right? Yeah, there's a great uh, fall interview with Marky Smith where he is he's had slanted and enchanted their first album played to him. And he's absolutely convinced it's a Fall album that he's forgotten about. <laughs> <laughs> because they made so many records to Fall. He's like, that must be me. That's me, isn't it? Yeah. They're like, no, no, it's Pavement. They're, they're from Stockton in California. No, that's, <laughs> that's me, isn't it? He's yeah. like, no, no, it's, 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 they're, they're an American group. <laughs> but I, I love them. I really, really, they're one of my sort of six or seven Desert Island bands. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're on the bill. So... Why, um, so I think the first band on any festival, like starting off that festival, that Friday vibe, is always really important because it captures the kind of spirit and the idea uh, of the festival. So why is Pavement the perfect starting point? Because I think in an absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. It's now been so long since they performed, and I think Steve Malcolm as a singer went on to have a very successful solo career, but... A few of them have got like real jobs. One of them is a landscape gardener, I think. Yeah. Uh, there was an interview with them in the Guardian a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of them lectures. And uh, I think when a group me- meant so much to people, and Pavement were one of those bands who, if I was in a nightclub or something at an indie night, and I would see someone in a Pavement t-shirt, I w- would feel I could go up and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in a Sainsbury's near your house, yeah. So I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to have pavement on. Yeah. Um, so who've got after pavement? Uh, Beastie Boys. <laughs> Beastie Boys. Yeah, I love Beastie Boys. Sorry, that happens every time. Uh, not us- There's usually not an audience for me to do that, so I, I felt quite embarrassed doing that. But like, <laughs> oh my, I love Beastie Boys. Yeah, it's. I was meant to see them at Wembley in 2004, mm-hmm. and then I was ill. Oh and I couldn't no. Go. Yeah. And then obviously, uh, York died. Mm-hmm. So you know they. They're no longer going. It's so sad, and um, I only really got into them um, uh, post MCA's um, passing. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, they are one of the most kind of engaging and kind of just bombastic bands out there. Oh, right? yeah. and they're meant to be amazing live. Yeah, and they were funny, and they were political, and they wrote great records. Mm-hmm. They wrote so many great records, and. They were still doing really good stuff right to the end as well. Like, I really love Check Your Head and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they, um, yeah, they they also did an album um, 
I can't remember what it's called from the top of my head, but it's, a, it's an entirely instrumental album, and it's it has that Beastie Boys sound, and you wouldn't, it's not necessarily their best album, but it's certainly the most underrated album, um, and it has like lots of really cool yeah. uh, sounds, it's very funky, and you wouldn't attribute to it to Beastie Boys, because you think they're just um, free round boys, but like, uh, they, it's really, really interesting, and their musicianship grows as the years. Well, they also, because yeah. when they first came over, they were almost in this sort of Sex Pistols mode, sort of, <laughs> and like a 1980s Rolling Stones, like a, the bad boys of, of rap. And they mm -hmm. were stealing, you know, the Volkswagen yes. um, yeah. uh, signs, all that kind of stuff. And it was it was a real. They did a tour with um, Run DMC, yeah. and it was a real. The, the tabloid press hated them. It was a real lock up your daughters sort of vibe. To yeah. Them. And then they just, and then they kind of the fight for your right to party. I suppose is one of the reasons that they it was all about drinking beer and things. Yeah. And then they just made really brilliant records mm -hmm. and grew up a bit. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So I yeah, it's the. The, my mates who went to the gig, I was too poorly. I I uh, I was just ill. I I think it was like a really heavy cold or something. I was like, I just can't do it. Yeah. And um, I really regret that now. Yeah. I should have uh, I should have lemp sipped up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, exactly what they would would have wanted as well. But um, um, but yeah, it's a uh, yeah. Beastie Boys are fantastic. Um, and. Uh, yeah, and talk about that kind of regret. Uh, and do you ever have any of those moments that you look back on uh, in regards to music or artists you've met or something like that, where you, you have been, oh, I wish I could have done that, or I wish I didn't say that, or anything like that? Uh, I met Johnny Marr, which was a nightmare. Um, <laughs> because I yeah. um, he, I, we were still on Radio X at the time, and he, <laughs> we were Radio X were really promoting his latest record, and so he decided to do a, a gig with John Kennedy where it was a Q&A and then he, he had his guitar so he was going to talk us through as, as the audience how he wrote some of his most famous riffs. Classic Townsend, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was, uh, and uh, Gemma, the ex-girlfriend who DJed, she mm -hmm. was DJing in a nightclub in, in Club Iverbach, in fact, where I saw the strokes and um, He'd performed with the Cribs, and they'd gone for a drink at club afterwards. But obviously, because it's Johnny Marr, mm -hmm. the place had gone insane. Ah. So he'd found sanctuary in the uh, in the DJ booth, and she texted me. She said, Alice, Johnny Marr is here," <laughs> and I've I've told him that you know you're a huge fan, and he'd love to meet you. And I thought I'll just get it wrong, so I turned my phone off and <laughs> no, and yeah, yeah, and went to bed. I thought yeah. I'll just mess this up. So then, like ten years later, yeah, I felt ready <laughs> to meet him. So Radio X, Mike Walsh was head of music, said you can meet Johnny Marr if you like, and I said great. And uh, I went to the gig on my own. I hadn't spoken for about two hours, and then when I went backstage, Mike said, "This is Ellis. He's one of our DJs." My voice came up probably two or three octaves <laughs> higher than it usually is. So Mike went, this is Alice, uh, he's one of our DJs, and Johnny went, hi Alice, nice to meet you. I went, oh, hello Johnny. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't fix it. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, oh my God, what's happening there? So he was like, uh, yeah, yeah, thanks for coming down here. Really appreciate it. I'll support you giving to the record. It's, it's brilliant. And I was like, I was like, oh, well, you know, well, <laughs> you were just huge fans. <laughs> I thought, come on! <laughs> so I thought, I thought, I'll let Mike talk to him and I'll go into the corner yeah. and I'll clear my throat. So I went into the corner and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> 
But the pitch of the way I was clearing my throat, I was thinking, it's not, it's not coming down. <laughs> what's, what, what's, it's not coming down. But then once, once you've done three of those big, three or four of those big coughs, yeah. you have to then recommit to the conversation. <laughs> so even though the coughs were coming out too high, I thought, I'll just chance it. <laughs> so I walked back to him, and I went, um, and he was like, yeah, yeah, so uh, as I said, you know, every time I see an Andres, you actually hear one of my songs, I just so appreciate And he was so nice, that was the thing, yeah. he was so nice. <laughs> and I, I went over there, I was like, well, it's a great record! <laughs> and I, it just, and then I started to sweat and I started to tremble. And uh, I, I, it just fell apart. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd met some, some, you know, I'd, I, I, I'd met Dave Roundtree from Blur. Yeah. And I loved Blur. I loved Blur. And I was, I was all right when I met Dave. You know, I was able to interview him. And that was, and I'd met some footballers I really liked. I'd interviewed Gareth Bale. I thought, well, that had gone okay. Yeah. But there was something about Johnny Marr, and I just fell to pieces. So, so what was it? Uh, I know we're not specifically talking about Johnny Marr, but we're talking about kind of the idea of adoration and people that we love uh, but like so what is it in particular that made you feel like that towards Johnny was it was it some kind of connection or was it just there is a feeling that you get that you can't repeat and mm -hmm. it only happens when you're about I would say uh, 14 to maybe 16 or yeah. 17 mm -hmm. when you are working out who you are and not everyone but lots of people do it through music mm -hmm. so the way I would dress, I was trying to tell people that I like these things. And so I would wear band t-shirts and I had my hair cut in a certain way. And it was my way of saying, I'm like that. You can guess what I'm like from the way I'm dressed. Yeah. And also, especially growing up in a really small town, because obviously if, if you're in Canterbury, where we are now, yeah. you do have access to London. It's not that far, so you could go and watch bands. Yeah. That was completely out of the question where I lived. Yeah. So what you're trying to do then is to find your tribe. And nowadays you do it online. Mm -hmm. But the thing I used to find so exciting was I would go and watch a band when I was sort of 16. I remember going to see the Mannix actually. It was the Mannix, the Super Free Animals and Catatoni on the same bill at the Multipoint Arena. And I walked in, there were about five and a half thousand people there. And they all looked like me. And I remember thinking, finally, <laughs> A, yeah. finally, and B, where are you the rest of the time? Because <laughs> yeah. I used to get loads of abuse for having my hair cut a certain way and um, it was just really liberating and then especially with the Smiths you know they split up in 1987 so by the time I was into them you know nine years later mm -hmm. because of the way time passes especially when you're young 1987 felt like a, a completely different lifetime yeah. yeah but they'd left this amazing legacy of records which are perfect mm -hmm. and that's the thing Noel Gallagher always makes this point. There are no shit Smiths albums. Mm -hmm. And also there are no like unreleased demos or rarities or unfinished tracks. Mm -hmm. They wrote the songs, they recorded them. They're all brilliant. They put them out, they split them up. They split up. They had, you know, they were recording for about five years. Mm -hmm. And in that five years, they're effectively perfect. Like I'm a huge Beatles fan. Yes. But the earlier stuff, I'm not particularly fussed. Yeah. First on, I think the thing with the Beatles is that it's an absolutely amazing story that tells the story of the 60s. Mm -hmm. And, but with the Smiths, Christ, they, they get out of the trap. Like, Johnny Marr wrote this charming man or something when he was 18. Yeah. And because I learned to play the guitar, and you try and play those riffs, and you try and play those songs, and they're really difficult. 
and also in the days prior to the internet, so you're trying to work it out by ear, or yeah. spending money that is the equivalent of a new album on the, the actual official music from a music shop. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking, oh God, I can either learn to play it or I can listen to it. Um, he was just like a magician. Yeah. And there was a few of those musicians from that time were like that. Grim Coxon was another one. But I met Grim Coxon, but with, I didn't get the chance. I, I just, honestly, yeah. it was really embarrassing. <laughs> I was like 38 or something. Like yeah. I, wasn't, I was quite, a, you know, I wasn't a young man. Yeah, and, and, but I think that it's, it's so sweet to feel like you can kind of get those shivers and trembles uh, when you're older on, because it means that you mean someone that does mean a lot to you. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. It's, but it, there's a level, though. I got it when I met Ian Rush. Yeah, yeah. He's, just, he's in his, he's like 60, I think. Yeah. But when I meet him, he's still 28 and I'm still 10. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing that I think sport and music does to people. You're, you're just transported back to that time. That's brilliant. And um, we, we should move on with the festival because like, uh, we, uh, so we have Pavement, Beastie Boys. Let's see who we got on next. It's Public Enemy followed by the Smiths. Oh, yeah. Well, as we mentioned, the Smiths. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, with with the Smiths, because like, I, I think it's fair to say that there's a certain member of the Smiths. Yeah, he's let himself down. <laughs> <laughs> if you yeah. know, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, so it, with Castle, I'm, I'm not sure if it's public knowledge, but there's rules in place where people have any stipulation you want. So, for example, if you wanted to have Queen play on, you can be like, right, only 1973 Queen, whatever. Um, uh, but Ellis, is, is it just 80 Smiths? Yeah, yeah, it's proper, you know, when they did rank the live album, yeah. 1986, it's, they haven't aged. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is the Smiths in their pomp, and yeah. everyone, obviously, this is going to, it's going to cost money. Everyone gets a time machine. <laughs> Largely, it would be cheaper for the band to get a time machine. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, like, uh, not to be the logistics yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. The, 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 the bands <laughs> are, are brought to the stage yeah. in a time machine. Yeah. And it's, I was way too young to, to see the Smiths when they were still uh, performing. So, yeah, it's them. And it, they're doing all my favourite songs. It's all The Stranger Was Here We Come and Queen Is Dead. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all great anyway. You can't go wrong with the, with the Smiths. But, yeah. Public yeah. Enemy I saw in Bristol in 2002 and it's the most extraordinary gig I've ever seen yeah and you know their peak was in the late 80s it's 15 years after their peak yeah but <laughs> just just amazing yeah and I really love those albums you know it takes a nation of millions and stuff like that but um, they can they they played in Brixton a couple of years ago and I didn't go but a mate of mine went and they're still um, they're still brilliant yeah so if the Fridays, the 80s, 90s, big beasts usually <laughs> reforming, yeah. um, I've got to give a shout out to Blur and to the Manics. Yeah. The Blur, Blur I saw in Hyde Park. And when you see them, you know, reform, this is like 2013 or something. No, 2015 it was. And then in 2009, it's just hit after hit after hit. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, they were so brilliant. Fantastic. So I, I am surprised here the Smiths aren't headlining. So for, who is headlining? Because that's, that's no, hard. it is it is the Smiths headlining uh, because you can't you can't <laughs> not. Yeah. I think that the the weakness in that lineup, and I got this from when I was DJing. You can play amazing songs from the past, but if if you play something that's really contemporary, that really 
um, has grabbed people's attention now. Mm-hmm. People love that. So, so we, pl- I, we played Wet Leg and the crowd went nuts. Yeah. Because the record had just come out and everyone loved it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think we need a contemporary band in there. So I'll, I'll, I'm not sure where they'd go, but I think I'll put Wet Leg in there just because of the reaction they've got <laughs> in the night. <laughs> Although it's they're quite, quite difficult to follow the Smiths, isn't it? Yeah. After a 35-year hiatus. <laughs> Just stick on some spoken word meatloaf, we'll be yeah, fine, yeah. yeah. Um, so we go to bed, um, is it, uh, like a bit, not to bed, like, uh, no, no, it's, it's per, uh, strictly professional, um, <laughs> thank you. Um, but like, uh, we all go to our tents, uh, uh, well, yurts, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Jesus uh, uh, sent us to bed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, tucked me in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and nothing weird, thank you. Um, but like, uh, but yeah, so uh, we wake up fresh on Saturday morning. Uh, who got to start? Uh, what, what's the theme for Saturday? The theme for Saturday is Welsh bands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want to sound like a sort of nuts, patriotic, ultra-nationalist. Yeah. <laughs> but when I was about 15 or 16, the best bands at the kind of music I liked the most happened to be Welsh and often singing in, singing in Welsh. So... My first language is Welsh. That was the language I spoke with my mum and dad, the language I spoke at school. And so you had specifically with the Super Free Animals and Catatonia and uh, Gorky's Agotic Monkey, who were my favourite group of all time. And Gorky's actually went to my school. And the thing with that is like, Eros Child's the lead singer, his mother worked with my mum. Mm-hmm. So when I was sort of 15 or 16 and Korea's officers would ask you what you wanted to do with your life and what you were going to do, do as a job. I'd done like, work experience in an office and you're thinking, oh, oh God, what if I'm not very good at this? What am I going to, oh God, because I'd messed up, but you know, I'd yeah. dropped some photocopying in a bin or something <laughs> ridiculous. And then I, went, I did it, I, I, did, I did work experience at, um, at the local newspaper. I mm-hmm. thought, well, I'm not sure I'm good enough to be a journalist. And I did work experience with a solicitor and I got told off for. Um, uh, slumping in my chair by the by the bloody judge by a magistrate. Wow. I thought, okay, well, I can't do that either. <laughs> um, and I was working. I remember working in, in a kitchen. I worked at a cafe. I'm thinking, I need to find something. So obviously, as a sort of daydreamer, comedy wasn't really an option because I I never met any comedians. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how you became a comedian. You just sort of seemed to arrive on the TV. But with the Gorkies, because they were in sixth form when I was in first year, because my mum knew the lead singer's mother, and all the teachers remembered them, but they were on Frank of the Melody Maker, they were on Radio One, and John Peel played them, and you know they were a band I could go and see. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, just because they're from around here and they wouldn't have gone to see many gigs, it didn't hold them back. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a really powerful um, emotion to feel, I think, when you're a teenager, when you're sort of trying to find your way because I really love bands from Canterbury, the Canterbury scene in the early 70s, people like yeah. Kevin Ayres, yes, made yeah. some of my favourite records of all time. Mm-hmm. And Canterbury's a small place, so if, you, if, if you'd been sort of 15 in Canterbury in 1975, you'd be like, bloody I'm in the right place to be a sort of <laughs> yeah. prog rock artist. <laughs> wow. And I just think that, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're from uh, Liverpool and you knew people who were at school with Steven Gerrard, then suddenly being a footballer doesn't appear as far-fetched as it might. Mm -hmm. And because I'd gone to school with a proper band who were in the NME and would get single of the week, 
I thought, wow, I could... I actually thought I would probably end up being a music writer. I thought, oh, maybe I'm not good enough to be in a band, but I could probably... I could maybe write for the enemy or something. I could do that, and that would be quite a cool job. That, that thought process of, I'm not good enough to be in a band, it has led me to, I can do a music podcast. That's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's why we're here, so, everyone. <laughs> and there just happen to be loads of really brilliant groups. Yeah, and yeah, and I think, um, w- obviously, we'll talk about the, uh, the bands that are part of um, uh, the, the Welsh Music Day, but like, uh, I, uh, I did want to ask you about um, seeing Wales as an identity in music and hearing... How does it make you feel when you listen to uh, more and more artists who are emergents um, who are singing um, primarily in Welsh? And how does it yeah, how does it make you feel? Well, there's a group called Adwaith who have had really heavy rotation on Six Music, and they've got a new record coming out. And they they went to my old school. I mean, they're 20 years younger than me, but uh, they're from Carmarthen, and they did the Six Music Festival in Cardiff, and they're on the daytime playlist, and. You know, they're singing in Welsh, hasn't sort of held them back. Yeah. Um, and I love it because what, what an interesting thing happened, really, in that in the 1980s, there was a very vibrant Welsh-language alternative music scene, so quite punk-influenced and quite, mm-hmm. quite sort of a lot of indie bands. And But they were only really playing in Wales, or they would play um, in like Celtic festivals in Brittany, Mm-hmm. So it would be some Breton bloke playing the accordion, and then it would be like noise rock from a sort of early incarnation of the Super Furry Animals, mm-hmm. and then with with a little bit of techno chucked in, and then it'd be another bloke playing an accordion, yeah. <laughs> and it was really weird because um, there was just this really thriving underground Welsh language indie scene that I caught the sort of tail end of really. So the Gorkies, they made records that I still listen to. I was listening to them in the car on the way down. I think they they have just not dated at all. Yeah. And Aros Childs, the singer, is now in Teenage Fan Club, so he's touring the world with Teenage Fan Club and he still does solo stuff. Mm-hmm. They were one of those groups, I think everyone's got one of these bands, where when you discover them, you actually think, they were invented for me specifically. Yeah. I like the covers, I like the lyrics, I like the music, I like the melodies, I like the way they look. Yeah. It just it just seemed absolutely perfect. And what you were saying earlier about um, showing someone that you love your music, it's so vulnerable, isn't it? Because like, that is you, it's how you, um, well, I'm speaking uh, uh, on behalf of myself, but like, like it's you have that kind of identification with that music, like this is me, and you show it to someone. You know when like, you show someone like a YouTube video, like, oh, this is really fun, and I check it out, and they just sit there like this. Do you know what I mean? It's like, uh, are you impressed by it? It's like, no. Like, oh, but like, showing people yeah. a funny yeah. YouTube video, if they don't laugh, <laughs> you think, well, I'm just going to walk to the sea then. This is, uh, <laughs> I've got yeah. this wrong. I thought this Irish bloke snipping over on ice in Dublin five years ago, I thought that was hilarious because cause the way he says Jesus when he bangs his head, but you are stony-faced. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and it's the same with music as well. Like, Especially it's like, what do you think of this? And they're like, okay. and I feel like... You, I think I, I have a theory, and I was mentioned it earlier today actually in a conversation that I think you enjoy music a lot more when you find it for yourself. Uh, but if someone shows you something, it's like, oh, that's all right, isn't it? But like, uh, once you have your own way in, I think you have that kind of engagement. But, uh, also, I think not everyone, but I think a lot of people run out of steam when it comes to discovering new stuff. So mm-hmm. John Kennedy on Radio X, and Hugh Stevens who's on Six Music, 
is a great example of this, where they have this absolute thirst to discover new groups. And they seem to have the enthusiasm that everyone has when they're 15, but it's, it's sustained into you know, middle age. It's really like, I, I, I used to love talking to John because his enthusiasm was completely undimmed. Yeah. And he never ever said, it was better in the 90s though, or yeah. it was better in the 80s. Yeah. And um, yeah, when, when he would interview new groups, and Hugh Stevens like this on Six Music as well, like if you bump into him, I know Hugh, but you could be in town with him and someone will come up to him and say, this is my demo, will you listen mm -hmm. to it? And you know he does. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I think that's a really special kind of uh, personality, really special kind of person who does that. Fantastic. And yeah, and uh, I love uh, exploring those new albums as well. And uh, trying to keep that fire alive is difficult. Um, but let's not talk about contemporary stuff. Uh, but let, let's talk about um, your Saturday. Who's opening up Saturday? Um. <laughs> well, opening Adwaith, uh, as, who, mentioned. Uh, as mentioned. Then uh, the Velvet Underground, because Ooh. obviously John Cale's from Carmarthenshire, <laughs> so they sneak in via the <laughs> residency rule. <laughs> I didn't know that, so that's an interesting. Well, John Cale didn't speak any English at all until he was seven. Wow! Extraordinarily, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was a coal miner's son from uh, Ammonford, Garnet, near Ammonford, and then he went to um, New York and met Lou Reed and Andy Warhol, and yeah. became, you know, having sort of played organ in his local church and all that kind of stuff. Really amazing life. Um, and the thing with John Cale, he was in the Velvet Underground, and then he made some brilliant solo music, but solo records, like Paris 1919 is just a fantastic album. But then he also produced The Happy Mondays, and he produced Patti Smith, and he produced The Stooges, and he produced you mm -hmm. know, Squeeze, and Nick Drake. So he's just had this, and he's written music for ballets, you know, uh, there was a, a ballet about Nico's life, and he wrote music, the score for that, and he, produced all of Nico's albums. He's such a gifted bloke. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the Velvet, especially the two albums, the first two albums, I just think are, yeah. uh, you know, peerless. Uh, and then I've got a band called Dapluggy, who... Oh, yeah. yeah. They were, um, they were, uh, it's difficult to explain, really, but, because the, the, the lyrics are quite hard to translate, because he knew, because he was writing in Welsh, but he knew that his audience could speak English as well. It involves sort of interlocking bilingual puns that are quite hard to yeah. translate. And also, he was, um, he just used to write about things that bothered him and things that he hated. Mm -hmm. But he lived in Abertavi, population, you know, 2000 or whatever it is. Yes, yeah. So he would bump into the people who he'd written about, like in, in Tesco and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you're, yeah. you know, you can, you, can, you can be this really, you know, this sort of really iconoclastic yeah. agitator if you live in New York, and then you can write about who you want. Yeah. But if you live in Abertavi, you are, uh, and you, <laughs> you are gonna bump into the subjects. Totally. And yeah. So, and those, those, I got to know, I got to, Dave died um, last year. So he, they were, they were performing really in the sort of 80s up to about 1993, but I got to know him a little bit. And he was such a gifted bloke. And yeah. Stuart Lee's a massive fan, so mm -hmm. when he curated All Tomorrow's Parties uh, a few years ago, Dapla gave me a, a comeback. I, I actually read the um, obituary that you wrote about him, and it was really sweet, and it was full of, like, um, uh, you said that you were, like, gasped in awe at his lyrics and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, because they were, 
they could be as bleak as Joy Division, mm-hmm. and they could be as political as Gil Scott Heron, mm-hmm. but they could be as funny as um, Half Man Half Biscuit. Yeah. So, again, Half Man Half Biscuit are one of those groups that really bo- it really bothers me that people don't take them more seriously because mm-hmm. I think he's one of the most gifted songwriters. If they had a more serious name, <laughs> I think people would take. But I mean, and also. What's their you know their their latest album is called the Volterol Years yeah and the, and the, and, the, and the, the cover is a lot of roadies with bad backs <laughs> but um and like are they I think the most famous one uh, album is CSI Ambleside or something like yeah, that? yeah yeah you yeah. know f- and um yeah but like National Shite Day there's a yeah. song uh, there's a lyric in that there's, there's a man with a mullet going mad with a mullet in minutes yeah. <laughs> which is such a such a brilliant which is such a brilliant joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but there again, I think he is a better observer of people than the vast majority of stand-up comics. So I'd like to give a shout out to uh, to Nigel of Half Man Half Biscuit. Yeah, I, uh, I see you sneaking in bands, by the way. I am. Like, yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, it's against the rule. No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, so who have we got following now? Uh, the Super Furry Animals. Yeah. Who I saw live probably thirty times. Yeah. Um, and they were always amazing. And the st- you know they would come on stage in on golf buggies, and they were just they. I think they wrote nine albums. They recorded nine albums. There isn't there isn't a deaf album. Mm-hmm. And so they would do these really big gigs. They did a they did a sort of mini festival in North Wales to celebrate the centenary of what was for a very long time until the Liverpool Dockers the longest strike in sort of British history. Sort mm-hmm. of the Pendering Quarry, uh, Quarrymen went to strike for three years. So they did like a two-hour set, mm-hmm. and you just think, my God, it's just it's just banger after banger after banger. And I'm sure everyone here has been part of like a gig, or they've been to a gig before, and you forget like, wow, every one of these songs is fantastic, and uh, every, yeah, how everyone has a, their own band for that. But it's so cool that like Super Furry Animals are that band. And Griff Reese has gone on to have an amazing solo career, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, they, they, they were just they were just the most interesting group mm-hmm. around for a very long time. They were good mates with the Flaming Lips, yes, who were like a, a, a bit like an American version, I suppose. Mm-hmm. They had the same sort of, um, you know, they they had just such an imaginative. Uh, they had just such an imaginative take on things, mm-hmm. and you never the records were all really different as well. And I yeah, I just I I. It was them and the Gorkies. I just thought, my God, they're the two best bands of all time. And and um, I think there might be one band left. As um, how many bands have you got left after? Um, I think that is it for okay. Saturday. So, so no Gorkies on Saturday. Oh God, have I not mentioned the Gorkies? No, yeah, oh, yeah, well, the, Gorky. the Gorkies are closing. I was like, holy! Uh, like, like we've been building yeah, yeah. up to this the whole episode. No. I was like, come on, here we no. go. I was trying to tease. Yeah. That and I will cry. <laughs> Uh, when they reform in my yeah. time. It's the classic line with John Lawrence on yeah. guitar. And again, they, 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 they were on a label in, uh, from Cardiff <laughs> called Angst. Mm-hmm. And then they sent to a major label in, it was from 96, 97. And it's only the stuff from then onwards that's on Spotify and Apple Music yes. and all streaming sites. Mm-hmm. So the Angst stuff, I recently um, burned from CD and so, so and now, now I have it on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
They were really playful and quirky and weird, but the melodies were always great. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it was never um, inaccessible. Mm -hmm. And the lyrics were really funny, uh, certainly in the, early, in the early years. And then they just became brilliant songwriters. Yeah. And I just, I, I probably saw them again 30 times maybe. And I think I heard a story, and you saw them a lot um, in your younger years as well. And, uh, and obviously when you're a teenager, and you mentioned find it hard to find accessible at different venues, um, and you mentioned early tonight hiring a minibus out. And yeah. You used to take people to gigs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and then because I was uh, small, uh, people would promise to pay me, and then they wouldn't. So I was, <laughs> I was subsidizing everyone else's trip to the Gorkies. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was just uh, because obviously they they never played in Carmarthen. They would, they, you know, they would play in maybe in Swansea, Pontydawi, or mm -hmm. Cardiff, which is just up the road. Um, but I think when I was, especially as a teenager, I was happier going to watch bands than I was, say, going to pubs mm -hmm. or going to clubs, because you just feel like you're amongst your own people. Mm -hmm. And the Gorkies were the best example of that because. They were never huge. I think they've got, there's this really weird record they've got where they're like the most bands, they're, they're like the bands to have had most songs in the top 75 without breaking into the top 40. Because mm -hmm. Pat, your song was the Radio 1 single of the week and it got to number 41. And you're like, come on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they, but they would never do what all the other bands were doing where they would release three versions of the same single with different B-sides, which were all shit, <laughs> so that you'd have to buy the single three times. Yeah. They would release their singles as almost as EPs, so the mm -hmm. four songs were really good, but then you're not really playing the game that way, so... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just those records still stand up, so they're the Gorky's on the Saturday night. So uh, let's head straight to Sunday, and I think uh, we'll, we'll zip through the... Uh, why don't you tell us uh, all the acts before the headline on Sunday? Okay. Uh, can and what's the theme by the way uh, the theme is bands I really like from the 60s and 70s <laughs> <laughs> as um, synced as music festival <laughs> yeah uh, we've got can yes brilliant. we've got Aretha Franklin oh uh, although I did toy with the flirtations yes who n nothing but heartache uh, is I think the most perfect one of the most perfect songs ever made yeah but I think Aretha Franklin's got more songs that people will know. Yeah. Um, uh, Bert Jansch, the folk guitarist, yeah. who I saw at Green Man and cried. Uh, <laughs> There's a common theme here, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so it's kind of Aretha Franklin, and then it's Bert Jansch. And my headliner is The Beatles. Of course it is, um, yeah. So I, I spent my teenage years watching and re-watching the Beatles anthology. I don't know if you've seen that. I have, yeah. So I, I really thought I knew the story. And then when Get Back came out yeah. in November, you realise that all the books you've read are wrong. Yeah, it, I found that so surreal. Has anyone else watched uh, Get Back, the series by Peter Jackson? It's well, fantastic, right? But yeah. Paul McCartney <laughs> yeah. had read the books and had thought that the books were right. And then watched himself on video was like, Shit, the books are bloody wrong. <laughs> yeah. And it had completely affected his memory of that album and that, that time. Because if you read the Beatles books, and I've read lots of them, mm -hmm. it's all 
By 1969, the band hated each other's guts and they couldn't bear to be in the same room as each other. And yeah. so it was effectively a solo album with four different musicians all working on their own. And then you watch it, and they're just eating toast and sandwiches <laughs> and having yeah. a laugh. And you're like, they, they bloody loved each other. What are you on about? That, that really, it, it did strike they me. They ate so, so much toast <laughs> as well. <laughs> Every meal is toast-based. <laughs> you know, you're the, you're the most famous musicians on the planet. Yeah. Get it, get, eat some chips. <laughs> you don't want to have more carbs. And so much tea. Yeah, yeah. And my God, they love smoking fags, yeah. they, the Beatles. <laughs> but the, the original Michael Lindsay Hogg video or, or film of that time, yeah. he just, like, basically takes the arguments, really, Mm -hmm. So it's quite a bleak watch. And then when you watch <coughs> the eight and a half hour version, because obviously Peter Jackson got hold of the 60 hours worth of tapes, he's just made a very different film. And I, it scratched an itch in that I'd realized that when I read, you know, whether it's Shout or The Beatles by Hunter Davis or One, Two, Three, Four, or, you know, Beatles, any of the Beatles books which I'd read, what I was really desperate for was any like reported speech. Mm -hmm. So be like, and then Lennon said this, and, and Jagger raised an eyebrow, and then McCartney said, that's the stuff I really want. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's very difficult to get because Beatles interviews were very formal. It was press conferences and stuff. So get back. It is just them being themselves, and it's them being mates. Yeah. And it's them sitting around. It was actually such a cathartic watch because, like, as you mentioned, like, it was that idea of, like, they hated each other. But actually, it was, it was just nice to see... Uh, obviously, there was arguments and there was disagreements, and you saw how... Like, what I loved is that you had that dramatic irony of, like, you knew how it was going to end with the rooftop gig, but, it's like... And they're like, we're going to do a gig in Arabia or, or whatever. And then, oh, like, yeah, and then there's that bit. Yeah. Michael Lindsay Hogg is constantly <laughs> obsessed with trying to get them to perform in Libya, in Tripoli. Yeah, yeah that's it, yeah, yeah. And, and Harrison, who is the more sensible one, says, well, how are we going to get there then? And Michael Lindsay Hogg says, we'll get P&O or C-Link to give us a ferry, <laughs> and then we'll all go over with all the fans. And Harrison says, right, we don't even get free amps. <laughs> and you think we're going to get a free ferry off P&O or ceiling? <laughs> yeah. Being on a ferry with all of our fans for two weeks will be fucking horrible. <laughs> we're the most famous people on earth, you idiot. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they talk about something else. He's like, I do think it would be a good idea, though, guys. <laughs> so every five minutes, like, no, Michael, chill out. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's... um. And like they'd finished the White Album in November 68. So they'd had a month off. Mm -hmm. And then it's January 69. And they've decided to write a new album from scratch in three weeks because mm -hmm. Ringo's being in a film. He's acting in a film. Yeah. And it's this, this insane deadline. So there's the, the bit that everyone talks about where McCartney writes Get Back in about two minutes. Yeah. And he, he, he sort of, he walks in and he has, you know, his 40th slice of toast <laughs> and just goes, Yeah. And then two minutes later, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> and that was such a spine-chilling moment. I'm not sure if anyone, how anyone else felt about that, but it was like that moment, it's like, like, he's kind of putting the bass to it, he's kind of got the melody, and he's kind of getting it wrong and right, and just like, Come on, boy. You know you can do it. And yeah. like, it, like I was shouting at the like I'm like I'm 
I never really do that, but I was like, come on, Paul, you can do it. Like, yeah. uh, and I was just trying to get that. And it was, uh, it's one of those moments that really kind of, like, it made me just, like, goosebumps. And I'd been led to believe that Yoko was this nightmare right, yeah. in the studio, and she was telling everyone what to do. She's fine. She yeah. just sits there and reads a magazine and talks <laughs> <Yeah>. to Linda. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so chill. I th you think, how has this happened over the last 50 years that mm -hmm. authors and writers weren't there? have created this narrative that they all hated each other. It's really weird. So seeing it now was just amazing. And the thing with the Beatles as well, now at music festival, <laughs> brackets Ellis. Yes, <laughs> thank you. It would be loud enough for people to hear them. Yeah. Because when they played Shea Stadium, there's mm -hmm. 55,000 screaming people. They were coming through the tannoy that they were announcing pictures on because it was a baseball stadium. Mm -hmm. And they had, just had quite small amps, like 100 watt amps or something. So no one could, they couldn't hear themselves. And mm -hmm. no one could hear them. It was, it was a sort of religious experience yeah. that was beyond music. And how would you, wait, imagine that you're in the middle of the field, you're watching that, you've, you're at the end of your weekend, you're very tired. Um, yeah, you're um, eating off a proper plate. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you see them playing like uh, songs that have never done live before, how would you, how would you, like, what would it be for you? I just, John on the radio show laughed when I said this. <laughs> but the thing with, for example, the Yellow Submarine, it's now a football song. You hear it, football fans sing it. My daughter know, knew that song before she knew it was a Beatles song. Those songs are such a part of culture. They, more than any other band, I think, they're, they're just in your blood. I think it's, yeah. it would be so weird to meet someone who, who'd never heard a Beatles song. Absolutely. Um, and they weren't performing live after 1966. And their best stuff was all done in the studio. Mm -hmm. And they didn't even enjoy playing live by the end of it. And they were glad that it was done. But I think I read somewhere once that if the Beatles were sort of rock music's childhood, Led Zeppelin was the, was the puberty. Mm -hmm. So by the time that they were playing, those big, really big groups, you know, Led Zeppelin did Nebworth, but people could hear it because they knew how to, how to do those gigs, was the Beatles. They were discovering all that, you know, on their own, really. Because mm -hmm. Elvis never did stadiums. Yeah. And, you know, the Beatles were the first group to, to, to do gigs of that magnitude. And so, obviously, they messed it up. Yeah. And the sound was shit, and no one yeah. could hear it. So it would just be amazing, I think. And that's always what, from what I understand, always what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to go back and gig yeah. in front of people rather than just spend hours in the studio. So I would, yeah, and I would love to stick my mum because she was a big Paul McCartney fan. But again, she grew up in Carmarthen and they did perform, I think their last British gig was in Cardiff actually, but they didn't, do you know what's weird about the Beatles? Because they broke all those rules, they actually performed in quite small venues. Mm -hmm. So they performed at the Borough Theatre in Abergavenny, <laughs> where I have done stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got, a, it's got a capacity of about 300. Yeah. You think, well, why were they here? <laughs> yeah. In Abergavenny. But they'd never been a band that big before, so no one really knew what to do with them. Yeah. But yeah, I would, uh, yeah, I'd love my mum to see Paul McCartney. That's really nice. So, uh, yeah, and then she gets to eat off a proper plate and uh, <laughs> yeah. go Got to a decent toilet. A lovely yurt as well. Oh, a lovely yurt, yeah, yeah. yeah.
But well, I think that's a fantastic festival. I would uh, I would say that it's um, it's a very Ellis festival. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, um, uh, bracket Ellis. It's gonna uh, absolutely lose a fortune. <laughs> yeah. I will be financially crippled at the end of it. You do have to pay for it all as well. Yeah, like, yeah. You have to drive the minibus there with everyone on it as well, so uh, you subsidise okay. everyone else being there. But um, we're gonna um, go to the final part of our podcast and uh, and deal with some floor fillers. <laughs> go on. management, things are bound to go wrong, so here's a couple of hypothetical questions from me and the audience that our guest has to deal with in the manner that they see fit. So, oh no, the Beatles have cancelled last minute. Who do you get to replace them? <laughs> Sorry. Replacing the Beatles? Yeah. <laughs> um, am I allowed to bring people back from the dead? You are. Oh, David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, who, is, who else has got... It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. ...big enough hits? I suppose the Stones... Mm-hmm. But I, th- I don't. I think the Stones would say no, mm-hmm. because I think the Stones would say, you know, well, why did you book us in the first place? Well, because you're not the Beatles, are you? <laughs> um, yeah. Can you imagine how <laughs> harrowing that phone call would be? <laughs> Hi, Alice. It's Brian Epstein. <laughs> Back from the dead. Uh, yeah. John's pulled out. Yeah. What? Um, so yeah. yeah I, I think I think there are very few acts who've got big enough hits uh, to replace. I remember Pulp replaced the Stone Roses in the at, at Glastonbury, I think it was, in about 95 yeah. or 96, you know, big ask. So yeah, uh, Bowie, the Stones, if you can get them. Fantastic stuff. And this is a very unique question for you. Oh dear, John Robbins is getting jealous of your festival. <laughs> he demands he must put, uh, and I quote, one of his bands on the festival. Which artists uh, of John's would you pick and would it be Queen? <laughs> <laughs> Is is Freddie performing? Uh, well, you can you can choose. If you could bring Freddie back, he would. It would it would mean so much to him. Yeah. Uh, it would be hilarious if I said no. <laughs> um, but it would mean so much to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that they would overshadow a lot of the groups, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as much as I love Pavement. <laughs> <laughs> they can't really compete with sort of yeah. Freddie Mercury, can they? Maybe it's like a separate stage. When like, are you going to see? Uh, you know, we're going to see Pavement or Fre- Freddie Mercury <laughs> back from the dead? <laughs> different, different vibes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, go on then. Yeah. Uh, I think Zappa would be. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right then. Okay, Zappa. There's a yeah. lady. Yeah. Who yeah. Really wants Frank Zappa. So yeah. It's just going to be you and John Robbins. But uh, there we go. Oh um, no, Captain Beefheart. Beefheart. I would have Captain Beefheart. That would be yeah, because he likes Captain Beefheart. That's more. That would be great. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Fantastic answer. And um, 
Oh dear, someone's running late and you have to fill the time for your festival. But fortunately, one of your favorite celebrities is willing to do a DJ set for you. They don't need to be a DJ, but which celebrity would you pick to do? Uh, Stuka player Steve Davis. Yes! Here we Who's go. Who's got an absolutely enormous record collection yeah. and now DJs. And I, you know what I love more than anything else? Just the... The rapidity of that answer, fantastic, Just right in there. He, he's an absolute music <laughs> obsessive. Yeah. So yeah, it would be it would be Steve Davis, and he'd play a load of obscure Motown and Northern Soul. Yeah. I think Stuart McCartney would be a brilliant DJ as well, yeah. because I listen to their show every uh, you know every weekend on Six Music, and his I mean and Mark as well. In fairness, his breadth of cultural knowledge is mm -hmm. so impressive. So yeah, but I think uh, just just to say that Steve Davis had performed. Yeah, yeah. I think I would have Steve Davis. Every quality, and uh, a difficult question here. Gorkies and super furry animals hate each other's guts. They say they won't perform. Well, that's not true for a kickoff. Okay, it's hypothetical. All right. uh, um, so so they uh, they hate the, in this uh, universe they hate each other's guts, and they say they won't perform if the other band is performing. How would you negotiate it, or who would you pick if you had to? Uh. Well, the, the Gorkis split in 2006. Mm -hmm. The Furries split in around 2009, but they have done two comeback tours. So they did the tour where they played uh, Fuzzy Logic and Radiator, and then they just came back and did gigs in around 2015. Mm -hmm. So I I've, I've seen the Furries more recently. The Gorkis, it's now been so long since I saw them live. Mm -hmm. It was 17 years or something. It would have to be the Gorkies, but that is an, an immensely difficult decision for me to make. In terms of managing it, obviously, I can sort out a separate porter camping yeah. if need be. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that would be heartbreaking. That's a heartbreaking decision I'd have to make. To be honest, I thought it would be funny to kind of induce panic, but it just sounded a bit sad, really. So uh, <laughs> I do apologise about that. Um, and one final question before we open up to the audience. One of your acts has forgotten their equipment, but good news, they can do an acoustic set. Um, which artist out of your whole lineup would you choose to do an acoustic set? Oh. Well, Bert Jansch was an acoustic musician. Yeah. So is he out of the running? I think that's uh, not in spirit of the question. All right, so. then. <laughs> then I am going to say... Am I being a stickler about that? Uh, I'm going to say the Smiths, I think. Yeah, because, nice. Because, yeah, Johnny, Johnny's such a good guitarist. I think that would be really... I, you know, I don't think they did an enormous amount of acoustic stuff. So, yeah, that would be really good. Fantastic stuff. And now we're going to open up to our live Canterbury audience to see if they have any uh, questions for Alice James. Yes, what, what we'll do, I'll appoint you, say your question, I'll repeat on the mic, so it just sounds all right in the podcast, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, so it's nothing you're lost here. Uh, I, to be honest, I, uh, there's a lot of details in that question, which I didn't understand, but um, what did you think about a footballer's performance? Um, who was it again, sorry? Uh, Ellis, blending your love for music and football, um, what are your thoughts on Camille Cabello's performance before the Champions League final the other night, and who from your festival would work best before a big game? I would love to, thank you, thank you for the question. Uh, I only saw the last sort of 30 seconds of it because I was putting the kids to bed. What I would say is that prior to a Champions League final, no one in the ground wants that. <laughs> and so it's, it's weird because especially the big events, 
the governing bodies try and turn it into something different yeah. to what it is. So, as a football fan who watches lots of football, I could put the right stuff on at a football match yeah. and everyone would love it. And it, interestingly, that started to happen with Wales now, where they've just asked the fans what they want and the fans have told them and they've done it and it's great. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, with the anthem, they don't even they don't have an opera singer or they don't have a choir, they play the first bar so everyone knows how to pitch it right, and then they turn the music off and then the fans sing it and it's much, much better. Yeah. So with the Champions League, you just think, no one walk into the ground was thinking, oh, I can't wait for Cabello. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be superb. The football really is secondary. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just think, I, I think it's a great example of how governing bodies misunderstand what it is that the people who are actually attending the event want. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I wasn't, from what I saw, I wasn't particularly fussed. Brilliant, thank you for that question. And uh, any other questions, a floor fillers for Ellis to answer. Uh, it, so if you could have any of your artists guesting with the Beatles, <sighs> who would you put on with them? If what? you could have any of your artists guessing with the Beatles, who would you have on with the Beatles? What a good question. <laughs> Imagine Aretha Franklin singing. <laughs> yes! Come on. The Beatles, bloody hell. Have Steve Davis on, on the And pub. Steve Davis is <laughs> Steve Davis is doing trick shots. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Davis is doing trick shots as the, as the Beatles play. Uh, that, yeah, all my favourite songs are off Revolver. Um, well, I think Johnny Marr's a big fan of George Harrison. Oh. And yeah. he's very good at playing alongside other musicians. Mm-hmm. So we get Aretha on, and then Johnny Marr as well. And I think that that would be the greatest thing that had ever happened. Yeah, I think I would cry at that as well. And um, thank you for that, Ollie. And we had a gentleman behind you. Uh, if you were to have a comedy stage at the festival, who would you have performed? If you had a comedy stage at your festival, who would you have performed? Right, well, having done loads of comedy gigs at festivals, uh, stipulation one, the comedy stage is a good mile from the main stage because, yeah. <laughs> as I bar. have discovered at the Reading Festival, uh, me talking and telling stories cannot compete with Pendulum <laughs> when, it's, when, when they are 200 yards away. Yeah. It is, it, there, so many of those gigs are unplayable yeah, and they're unplayable yeah. every year and you think, come on, yeah. people, this is, this is pretty obvious stuff. I mean, Observation comedy is very good, but very, very difficult to uh, mix with uh, blood sugar. For yeah, example, or, yeah, or <laughs> sepultura, yeah. or yeah, yeah. you know, it just, it just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It's so, Green Man I, is easily the best um, comedy stage at any festival because it's miles away from the music, so there's no sound bleed. Latitude is pretty good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would get Steve Coogan to perform because I've never <gasps> seen him live, and he's my yeah. uh, hero. And other than that, I would just fill it with loads of my mates. So obviously John would perform and mm-hmm. would accompany Caster and yeah. people I started doing comedy with and we'd have a party and it'd be great. And yeah. we wouldn't clash with any of the good bands as well. Absolutely, you'd all be like, I don't want to do it at that time. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you could work it out. That's a, yeah, thank you very much for that and thank you for your question. And do we have one over here? Yep. You mentioned earlier about there's a lot to check. <laughs> I'll try and get the tone of that because it was very important. It's like, uh, yeah, a lot of chairs at your festival. Do you choose chairs or mosh pits? Which one do you choose, Alice? Come on! I hate it when 
bands are giving 100% and the audience aren't yes, uh, giving it yeah. back. So I saw Stephen Malcolmus at the Shepherd's Bush Empire about a year after Pavement had split. And it was Tuesday night. And London crowds are notoriously bad anyway, especially midweek. And I'd come up from Cardiff to watch this show. And I was a big Pavement fan. I love Steve Malcolmus. I love the album. I thought, this is going to be amazing. Shepherd's Bush is this historic venue. It's amazing. It's going to be great. And people just stood there like they were waiting for a bus. For yeah. The entire thing, mm-hmm. apart from one guy who stood there for the, ho- for, for the entire evening and just kept shouting, Stephen, this is perfect! <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, this is perfect! <laughs> and I thought, fair play to you, mate. I've got to be honest, I, I've, um, I've been in an identical situation and I was that guy. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a big yeah. bloke in a, like a 1980s leather jacket. Yep. And he was, he was dribbling, he was pissed. <laughs> and he just kept shouting, Stephen, this is perfect. Yeah. I thought, well, I wish somebody everyone else was shouting as Stephen yeah. I, I remember uh, <laughs> there's a band called Screaming Females, uh, um, American rock group, and they're fantastic. I've, I've interviewed them before as well. And they are fantastic. But I saw them in Newcastle to a group of about 100 people. And I was like, uh, come on, let's start a mosh pit. But um, I, I've never been in a one-man mosh pit before, but it's very yeah. sad. I, <laughs> s- I, s- you know, I, I remember seeing the Mannix on the uh, Everything Must Go tour. Mm-hmm. And that was a, quite an intense mosh pit for stuff like You Love Us and Motown Junk. And it yeah. was just brilliant. It was just great fun. I saw the Libertines, and it was pretty full on. I I really love Royal Blood, and I've not seen I've not been to see them live yet, but I gather that those are quite uh, rowdy gigs, mm-hmm. which I don't mind. I don't mind having piss chucked on me, man. It yeah. doesn't bother me. Well, that's what ha- that's how we're finishing it tonight. So just the piss takers are here. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> uh, so I, I would choose the mosh pit. Thank you. And I think we've got time for about one more question. Anyone? Yes. So we mentioned crockery, but what food is available at the festival? Um, when I started going to festivals, it was just burgers. Yeah, yeah. And burgers, bizarre, I didn't mind, but by day three now, yeah. A, th- a, th- yeah. a third day of, of, a, of an exclusively burger-based diet yeah. would, would start to get me down. It would just get me down. Yeah. You, you start feeling like a beetle after like, eating yeah, so much toast. Yeah. Like, yeah. my ninth <laughs> burger of the weekend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it would just be really varied. And yeah. um, the food at festivals is good now. I remember going to festivals about, about probably 15 years ago when Pie Minister, have you ever eaten a Pie Minister? like a Bristol-based pie company. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. so refreshing <laughs> to have like top quality pies. Yeah. I remember watching the folk musician John Renborn and eating a really nice pie. <laughs> and I thought, it doesn't get any better than this, <laughs> does it? Um, I, when I went to Leeds Festival as a teenager, uh, they, uh, they, they, this is the first year uh, that I saw that they started doing a giant Yorkshire pudding with sausages in the middle. It was like, yeah. life doesn't get better than this. Like, I yeah. felt very patriotic about that as well. Like, uh, yeah, and um, like I was, at, I was at Latitude. I had paella. <laughs> I thought, bloody hell, hasn't life changed? <laughs> yeah, and would there be any food that you would ban just straight up? Uh, that I would ban? Yeah, not allowed at music festival Bracatellus. Uh I would, um, listen to, I don't, I'm not sure if I'd ban any food. I would ban uh, the Vuvuzela. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's yeah. and, yeah. and, a, and an air horn. Yeah. That's banned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't expect you to say that. To no. <laughs> no, I don't think there'd be any. I don't think. Oh, oh, I wouldn't have craft beer. Yeah, okay. I'd yeah. have really commercial lager <laughs> <laughs> that tastes like lagers meant to taste. Yeah. So there'd be n n you couldn't buy a pint that tasted like like of caramel and pomegranate and sort of you, you know asparagus. Yeah. It would it would be like Amstel. Yeah. <laughs> Four percent <laughs> normal beer, <laughs> and everyone would have a normal it, pint. It should be called Normal Beer at Music Festival. Do you yeah, mean? Normal Beer yeah. at Music Festival. <laughs> and that's how you make your money back. Yeah. You sell your own beer. It's normal. It's fine. Let's have a nice time. Um, yeah. And I think that is the end of Floor Fillers, and that is the end of the podcast. Alice, have you had a nice time tonight? I've had a fantastic time. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And uh, um, would you like to plug anything before the end of the show, or where can people find you? Um, I do the radio show with John on a Friday, and that's mm -hmm. available as a podcast if you can't listen live. I do another podcast called The Socially Distant Sports Bar, where fantastic. we talk about our favourite sports clips, mm -hmm. which is a lot of fun. And then... I mean, we'd end up talking about sport for about 5% of it, and then we just end up talking about stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, th those are the two main things. And f if you like football, we're, we're bringing back Fancy Football League. Lovely. And I am presenting it with Matt Lucas, so that will happen at some point. That's, That's been, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. so um, I don't know, quite know when, but it will be on mm -hmm. telly at some point. So if you don't loathe me by all means watch <laughs> it I mean if you loathe me then watch it just just don't don't don't, don't <laughs> use social media to tell me I mean assuming a lot of people bought tickets tonight because you were here if, if they were loathing you at this point that would be quite well, a walked out wouldn't they oh, <laughs> what a, oh what a Philip what a tonic that is no one's walked out I feel oh I feel yeah. good as gold now um, but yeah, um, thank you so much for being here, Alice, and uh, thank you all, live audience, for being here. Have, have you had a nice time? Yeah. Uh, this is a, yeah, thank you so much for being here. If you like this show, please give it a five-star uh, rating on um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Every review counts, so leave a nice message. Or if you were here, uh, if you're here tonight, write on um, the review saying like, uh, you know, um, oh, I'm a piss thrower, or something like that. You know, something like a call, but a lot of people shaking their heads. Fair enough. Uh, but like, uh, uh, but if you want to leave a five-star review that would be really handy and tell your friends about it it does uh, grow the, um, the podcast and this episode is going to be the end of season five so uh, what a great way to go out isn't it everyone um, and um, but please put your hands together and give a mass round of applause for our fantastic our legendary and our wonderful special guest tonight it's alice james everyone <laughs>